Welcome to the Chris Podcast. As part of our capital raising workshops, Steve Torso engaged with investors and founders over at WeWork in Piemont, giving insights over to the best practices with capital raising processes and when working with investors. I hope you enjoy. Vicky's a founder, Vicky is an investor into companies as well, and Vicky raises capital for companies. Okay, as you can see, it's a, quite a mixture in the room of everyone. So it's a, it's a challenge for everybody. So my hope is really for this, is it's not so much to be you know, some earth-shattering information that's going to absolutely change your life. That's not the goal for tonight. The goal for tonight is really, I just want to break down the simple process from a capital raising point of view. But also, more so for the, specifically for the founders, because the guys that raise money professionally, they'll know this. But for the guys that, for the founders that are going to be going through a capital raise to help understand that what you're about to go through is completely okay, right? Because, and when I say that, when you understand the rejection that comes with this process, right, you understand it's a whole nother level. And the only way I can actually describe it is by using dating apps. Right, so if you think about the online actual, the attraction process of trying to attract an investor, if you think about if you're doing online dating and you have 100 matches and you have 95 of those matches reject you, that's what it's like raising money. Right, it really is. And that's the only, the easiest way to describe it. So look, I'll go through the high level of what we're going to be covering. Now I was hoping to have transitions, but they sort of disappeared. But effectively, they're the, they're the core topics. So I'm going to start off with the realities of raising money. Then the actual core principles that we you know, are sort of going to be encouraging and advising sort of companies to, to work with. The attitude, the seven-step process we talked about in the sort of marketing aspect, and then the five common mistakes. And the five common mistakes are literally the most, is probably one of the most important parts to go for. So funny, when we did our survey, most people are interested in this, but actually I would say the most important part would be really here. Right, because the attitude is really the most important part. Because I said, rejection is absolutely a part of it. So to kick off, this is the reality of what people experience when they go through a capital raising. It all starts out like this. Everyone starts out overconfident. As founders, we're bullish. We naturally think that everyone's going to absolutely love what we do, and why the hell shouldn't they be giving us money? When we go out to our capital raise, we're going to promote our capital raise, we're going to send out our information memorandum, and money's just going to come flying in the door. When that doesn't happen, we move through to this stage. We start experiencing rejection, right? And then at that stage, we start to start thinking about a different perspective about what actually could be going on. And as you move through this, then you start wondering, you know, went close to swearing again. You start having doubt about yourself. You go through doubt, you go through fear, and then if you actually get money in the door, then you, all of a sudden you feel bulletproof again, and the cycle just continues literally as it goes through. And this is a cycle that from an emotional process of what an investor will, sorry, what a founder will typically go through when they're raising money. This is one of the most challenging parts because at, at most stages, you start to doubt so many things about yourself, your idea, your business, your model, your so forth. Now, the question then is, what are the aspects you could actually doubt about? So to be as, so what I thought was the best way for me to actually provide this education is to actually provide it on my own personal experience. So I doubt anyone has done this before. I haven't actually seen anyone do it. So what I'm actually going to include in my next slide is all the reasons people have rejected me and my capital raising. Who's, who'd be willing to do that for themselves? Actually talk about all the ways people rejected you. Right? So this is, this is all of my rejections. Actually, sorry, before I get to that. One moment on the rejections. First thing we're going to highlight is that as someone that's raising money, the simplest, thing I, simplest advice I can give you is this. 
in your first one to two months of raising money, you need to have at least 40 to 50 investors in your deal room as a starting point to get one investor. The common stats that I'll give you is for every 10 to 40 investors, you are likely to get one, right? Those averages do not change that dramatically. So when people start to get doubtful and they start to get worried, just understand, if you've ever done sales before, it is literally just a game of numbers. All you are doing is marketing your business. That's it, it's a game of marketing. The only thing is, is as founders, we become a lot more passionate because it's our baby. It's what we spend every day, 24 seven doing. It's what we're passionate about. It's what we've maybe got mortgages uh, on our houses for. You know, we put everything on the line to build this. So when we get rejected, we take it personally. But the truth is, is just a game of numbers, right? So that's why the first advice I always give is, at least 10 to 40 investors into your deal room before you get one, and I'd go as even far as to say 50. And I'll actually give you my stats as we go through this as well. Okay, so here's all the reasons I got rejected. Right, anyone experience any of these? So let's go through them. Valuation is too high. Who's had that one? Right, feel comfortable, right? Most people get the valuation is too high. This one frustrates the hell out of founders when they just don't reply to you. They express interest and then just don't reply to you whatsoever. Right, who's had that where an investor just doesn't reply? Okay, just take that as rejection. They're not replying, not interested. Okay, I prefer to go in a series A or earlier. Like, often, say, all it, all it is is just an excuse. That time frame is too short for me. You are, this was my favorite one. I'm like, I could not understand. This was from a UK investor. You are too much like equity crowdfunding. All right, if you understand our business model, I've absolutely done my best to steer away from equity crowdfunding for the last five years. All right, next one. This one's always good for the soul. Imagine this, I've decided to invest into another company. Right, so just think about on your dating app, someone just writes back saying, not quite interested now, I've decided that I'm going with someone else. Thanks for that, appreciate that. Next one, they catch up with you. Here is the business I'm just invested into that's not yours that I want to introduce you to that you could benefit. Thanks for that, much appreciated. Right, next one, this was, this was actually one of my favorite. My wife is not keen on the investment. Literally the same rejection that someone would get from a vacuum cleaner salesperson or insurance I got from my deal, right? Always exciting. Why would I invest into you when I can go into other companies that are at seed level or, and get a faster uplift? We can't invest as, as you're going through a, oh sorry, this is a good one. They were actually raising money themselves but expressed interest in our capital raise. Did not make sense to me whatsoever, but I thought that was interesting. And last one, we don't like gingers. Just joking. <laughs> okay, so hope that makes sense. So, so once again, who's actually experienced that? Any of those ones that I've gone through? Who's experienced that, some of those rejections? Right, it is completely okay. Right, the thing is, everyone goes through all sorts of level of rejections. It's all meaning the exact same thing. Someone doesn't reply to you, not interested. If they tell you that they're just looking around in your deal room, that means they're not interested. Because if they thought your business was amazing, they'd be putting money in. What people forget is how many Australians actually have investments into private companies. It's a whole lot more than what you would think, right? And the other one as well is I find that, you know, companies, when they see advisors actually, they forget that advisors also invest into deals as well. So for example, our lawyer also invested into our company, right? Lawyers and accountants were the original investors into this space. They were the ones who were driving it. Lawyers, accountants, and family offices. Okay, next one. 
Okay, so here's our core principles that we talk about for raising money. First one is get ready. Now I'll sort of go through, I'll go through in a second what get ready means. Second one is stay ready. Next one, always be raising. Now this is the one which I think most advisors probably wouldn't like. And I don't know how, from the investor, what they think about it. But the reality is as a founder, if you start raising money, from that point onwards, I don't care. Put this way, no one raises money for a five-year runway. Okay, typically when people do a large capital raise, it's often for either a 12 to 24 month runway. Right? Has anyone raised for a three year or two year, plus, sorry, over greater than two year runway? Has anyone raised for a company greater than two years? Okay, so no one. Right, so that means that within a short period of time, whether it be 12 to 15 months, now typically people like to raise money again, typically six to nine months before they run out of money. Right, so that means, and the capital raising process can take anywhere from three, six to nine months. So literally, even if you've closed a large round, you literally should be back on the capital raising process again. Now, does that mean you're directly trying to get money that day? No, it means you're actually building interest, right? So there's always a stage of that always be raising. And the last one, which is not, once again, not good for the ego, but very good for you in the business and very good for your process, is get to the fastest yes or no as soon as possible. You would much prefer a fast no than a long drawn out no, right? So getting a no, like I've heard of companies getting a no after the six to nine months of negotiation and due diligence. That is the last thing that you want because in that you've got legal fees, you've got accounting fees, you've got corporate advisory fees, etc. And if that deal doesn't go through, that money's gonna come from somewhere to pay for those pay for those service fees. Sorry, I'm not speaking to people over here. I'll do my best to, to, to move around. Um, but yeah, get to that fast yes, yes or no as soon as possible. Now, these numbers have messed up a little bit, so it reads 11, but there is actually 12. Okay, so the first thing that we always believe in with WI is the power of one conversation, right? So what most people forget is, and I believe this for myself, it only takes one conversation to change the complete trajectory of your business. For me, that conversation happened, and it was a, it was a strange scenario. We decided to do an event in Singapore. And we reached out to Austrade just before doing that event. We said, look, we're going to bring over 10 Australian companies over Singapore. You know, we'd love to invite you along to our event. You know, and they, they surprisingly replied back to us and said, look, can we help you in any way? Two weeks later, we were hosting a, a cocktail party at the High Commissioner's residence in Singapore. And we had Singaporean family officers, fund managers, and so forth, you know, coming on to that event. But most importantly, I invited their local media group called Singapore Press Holdings. And also I invited their local stock exchange, the Singapore Stock Exchange. I ended up doing deals with both of those and that, that positioning ended up changing WI forever. Right? For the fact that I was able to prove that we could actually do something in another market. And there's a crazy thing about when you actually get success in another country, you suddenly get more credibility back in your own country, which I find really weird. I've been trying for years to do stuff with Fairfax, the Australian, zero interest. And there we literally landed in the first week we had a negotiation and conversation going with the large media group, right? So one conversation, and that introduction came from our advisor, that conversation, right? So one, the challenges as founders, we have to have 100 to 100 plus conversations to get to that one. Sometimes a thousand, right? But that's our job. Okay, no today doesn't always equal no for tomorrow. So one of the biggest advice we give to companies is if, if, if you do get an initial no from an investor, that's cool. Put them on a registration of interested list. Keep them up to date with what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, 
you may hit a milestone or something may occur in your business that they may be interested in that suddenly brings them back to the table to have a conversation. Two of my shareholders, to give you an idea, I had known for eight years before they become shareholders. Who likes that as a dating period? <laughs> it takes time. Sometimes it's relationship-driven, this process. Like, trust, and respect is always at the core of it for an investment. Also, you know, obviously, given what we do with Wholesale Investor, I'm a massive believer in the network effect. What people often forget is when you meet with someone, they could say no to you up front. They could reject you. But the reality is they could introduce you to one, two, or three people that may be relevant. So often what I've found with investors, actually, investors have often, in my experience, have been some of the politest and you know, quite good people to deal with. So when they say no, often they say no and provide introductions to some of their networks that may be relevant to you. If they don't have anyone relevant, they won't provide the introduction. But if there is someone relevant, they may provide those introductions to assist you with your business. So the, the net, never underestimate the power of the network effect. This one. So when you're starting out a $2, a $2 million capital raise, right? Often, often companies will get a 100K investment and they'll be disappointed, right? For me, when I see an investor putting in 50 or 100K, right, into a business, to me that says one thing, keep me interested. Because what I've found is that if they don't know you from a bar, think about this, if that investor hasn't been introduced to you before, they don't know you, they haven't heard you come, and their starting investment in you is 100K, right? And think about this, it's easier to get out of a marriage than it is to get out of a private company. Just think about that. Their starting investment is 100K, they've got a great potential to put in more down the track if you hit your milestones. But that's your job. Your job is to hit your milestones. Their job said they're interested, 100k amount, and I said it's always interesting, it's always around that 100k amount. I don't know why. It's like this magical number that I've seen consistently through WI when investors put in 100k. Next one, consistent communications. If you walk away from this with nothing but this, these two principles, number one, get 50 people into your deal room, and number two, communicate with your investors four times a year, that is enough. Consistent communication is part of it. If you deal with journalists that work with companies going to IPO, their actual biggest frustration is, is CEOs only talk to them when they're raising money. And it's absolutely a mistake that us as founders fall into, is that because when we feel pressure, we feel it's actually time to communicate with, with shareholders, right? But the reality is constant communication it can even be bad news as well. So the fear is as a founder is, you know, how can I consistently supply good news to my shareholders? But the reality is, if, if they've been in this space for some time, they understand that there's no such thing as everlasting good news for a private company, right? There's always ups and downs, you know, peaks around. So that's just the journey of investing into a private company, right? So even negative news, you know, can be part of those communications to, to shareholders. And the six, observing from afar. What you don't realize that right now in your business, there is more people that are interested in what you're doing than are actually currently talking to you. There's more people, like for me, for example, I had, a, had an investor come in that was a French investment banker that I've never met before, that just loves the space. Fantastic, do you know what I mean? I said, I had no idea. If I was to look at the profile, I would never have thought that that was, you know, that that was someone that would be interested in me, right? There's always more people that are potentially watching what you're doing than what you know. Your job is to make yourself more visible so that they can actually approach you. Okay. Um, Number six, sorry, this is actually number seven. The more visible you are, the more opportunities created. 
this is a fundamental belief we like to help with companies. So often you'll deal with people that try and tell you that you've got to try and keep your capital raising a secret, you don't want too many people knowing about it, all that sort of stuff. Do you know how many companies can actually do that and successfully raise money? Very, very, very few. Like you're talking the sort of one in thousand that are able to pull that stuff off, right? But everyone else has said your job is you've got to be visible. Whether it be as a personality, you've got to be visible. Whether as a company, you've got to be visible. I said, you've got to, as founders, we've got to attract more people to our business to help create the opportunity. The most beautiful word that I learned is actually from a, a guy we deal with in Singapore. Our job as founders is to manufacture serendipity. That is our job. We have got to manufacture serendipity. Day in, day out. The action we take today could benefit our capital raise 6, 12, 18, 24 months from now. In my case, twice in eight years. Right? Who would have thought? Okay. Um, milestones, milestones typically trigger investments. This is really interesting. So whilst you're working away, said, this is why this always be raising part is always important because you just don't know what milestone is actually going to make the difference for an investor in their mindset. Because, reading on to the next one, investors are typically patient and diligent. Right? They, they can, said, when they find out about you, they can happily observe you for one to two years before they actually invest. They don't even mind if they come in at a bit of an uplift. In their eyes, they're thinking that risk has been reduced since they first looked at you. Right, so whilst you're thinking, I want your money now to achieve this, they're thinking, I'll wait and see how you perform until I go in. Right, and just in a second, I'll go through the psychology of the actual process. By the way, if anyone's asked questions during this, I know there's quite a few people, feel free just to shout out. I don't mind this being interactive at all. Um, okay, last, this, this one no one likes. It's all your fault. Whether you raise the money or don't, it is absolutely all your fault. We've got a funny saying with WI, with companies we deal with. If companies don't, if companies typically don't raise money, it's our fault. If they raise money, it's all because of them, right? So when we deal with listed companies, it's a little bit different. If their share price goes up, we take the credit. If the share price goes down, it's the CEO's fault, right? Just as our revenge. No, but it really is. Whether you raise the money or not, it's all your fault, right? Because whether it be, you said, one of the challenges is, like you could have had an advisor do something wrong, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, the reason why it's all your fault, because it all sits on your shoulders. The success and failure of your business is, all, is always on us, right? So it doesn't matter what happens with the service provider we're dealing with, the platform we're dealing with, or whatever it is, at the end of the day, it's all on us. And our job is to squeeze as much as possible out of whoever and whatever we're actually working with. Um, and the last one is, and most important is, do your best to not burn any bridges. Right, which can actually be really hard, but it'd be actually amazing to know, like to, to give you an idea, who's, who in this room has actually known me for probably longer than three to four years, out of curiosity? Okay, just to give you an idea. This space seems to come around in circles, and it's amazing who knows who and who is connected to who. Like we had a conversation here with earlier with four of us, and it was like we're connected to two other people that aren't in this room tonight, which I had actually meetings with today. I said, this space is unbelievably small and people talk, right? So do your best to not burn bridges. I said, sometimes it's difficult. I said, but relationships are key. And I said, I've had situations where I've been massively let down by advisors, and yet that person I'd still count as one of my best friends, right? Because I just understand how hard this process is, right, with raising money. I said, I, accept. I said, I'll, I'll, not, I'll accept all the blame for everything. Right? Because ultimately, I'm the one who has to get it done. 
Okay, so the process for the seven steps. So does anyone, so genuinely feel free to ask questions you know, as I'm going through this, otherwise it's just me talking. Um, so the first part is seven steps, set up, set up an FAQ. So basically, and I'll give you a vision of what I did with mine, but effectively you set up in three different styles. In your deal room, you set up a pitch deck. Typically your pitch deck, you have two things. You have your IM, you have your information memorandum, right? Sometimes people just have literally just the pitch deck, right, with the actual terms in it. And also often a term sheet, right? A one-page term sheet or a one-page investment flyer, right? Really simple, really straightforward. What I also set up typically as well is I set up another folder which has you know financials for the last sort of three to four years. Now the simple thing is is some investors may want to see it, some investors may not. It's completely up to them whether they ask for it or whether they don't. And then the other one is a due diligence folder. Now a due diligence folder will take a lot more time to actually put together. The reality is for me the mistake I made in my cap rate. So when Investec become a shareholder in us there was no part of me that was ready for that transaction at all, right? So not only did I not have an IM ready, right? I didn't have a deal, I didn't have a deal room ready at all and nor a pitch deck, right? So literally when there was interest, because we actually weren't raising at that stage and hence go back to the principle always be raising. When there was interest from their side, we then went into scrambling mode. When you go into scrambling mode, you take yourself out of the business, right? Which is one of the hardest things to do. And then when you're actually setting up your due diligence, trust me, if you, who's actually set up a DD folder, a due diligence folder before? Okay. It takes a lot of time. So speak to any of these guys and they can tell you how much time it actually takes to set up. Once you've got that due diligence folder set up, it is absolutely in your best interest to try and update it after quarterly board meetings and after each quarterly financials, right? Because you don't want to say, doing it from scratch is the biggest frustration. Okay, so, and, you know, I can give examples of the, what a DD folder look like, looks like, sorry. Okay, so next step. So step one is the setup. Now, sorry, I missed one of the most important parts. When you go through, when you go through a capital raise, often you find yourself saying the exact same thing day in, day out. Like, you literally spend hours and potentially days and weeks saying the exact same thing. So one of the best things I learned was to actually set up a frequently asked questions so actually in Chris, we've set up a frequently asked questions management tool for that reason. And all I did was for me, when I actually started this process, so before I actually started raising money, I actually spent four months speaking with friendly investors and people that I know, like, trust and respect about my company and about what we're looking to do and I was getting their feedback. In that, I would actually show them examples of my FAQs. Then they would actually come back to me with other FAQs. By the time I was done, I actually had 14 pages of frequently asked questions and answers. Now the reason I do that now, even now I still only show 60% of those. But the reason I did that, right, because what I didn't want to do is I said, I want to get off to a fast yes or no. And I don't want to spend time answering the exact same thing over and over. Because at the end of the day, I've got a business to run, right? So that frequently asked questions is one of the most powerful things you can set up. And I learned this from an advisor that did deal roadshows throughout the US and they did it with fund managers. And what they would do is they'd start off every single day and at the end of each day they would go, okay, what was the most common questions we got that day? They would list those questions, they would answer it and then they would send that to the meetings the next day, right? And then they would do the exact same thing day after day. By the time they got to the end of their actual uh, their roadshows, the documents ended up being longer than their IM because all the questions were basically answered. But what's the most important thing? 
you're not answering the same thing day in, day out, right? And for the investor, it's actually efficient for them as well because they're saving time, not asking you questions that everyone else is asking you as well, all right? So, so if you can understand how powerful it is, just try it for yourself. Set up your own FAQs and watch how nice it is not saying the exact same thing day, day after day. Okay, invite investors. When you're actually inviting, and when people, when you're actually inviting investors to your deal room, right? Typically, people will actually forget to invite your board of management. So your board of management actually can provide introductions to investors as well. So start out with board of management. Start out with existing shareholders, right? And then also start out. So the other ones, so you got existing shareholders, and then also previous people that have registered interest. I don't care if you've been trying to raise money for three years, four years, five years, one year, six months. Everyone that has registered interest in your business at some start, at some time, give them the opportunity to continue having a look at you. If they don't, it doesn't matter, right? It's just you've got to provide the opportunity. I said, I'm not coming from this point of view that I'm amazing at raising capital. I'm literally telling you all my mistakes that I've made in this process, just so you don't have to go through go, go through and make those exact same mistakes. Okay, so where to, so number three, where to actually, now obviously I could do an entire session just on this part, the discover, attract investors, etc. But effectively, as I said, your job is to actually manufacture serendipity. The easiest ways to do that is that you've got to make yourself visible, right? How do you make yourself visible? Media is one way to do it, right? You've got to get yourself in front of people that could be relevant to your business. So whether it be startup media, whether it be industry media, okay, whatever is relevant for you, that you've got to make your company more visible. And then after you make yourself more visible, you've got to have a process to actually take them through. So for example, if you're a startup, if you get media attention and you are not raising money, you have absolutely wasted that opportunity. Think about that. Do not bother getting any media coverage at all unless you are raising money, right? Because you want to be able to leverage off that media coverage of people that are actually coming to your site or coming to your deal room to find out more. Next one, obviously I'll mention us, I've got to give a plug to WI. Um, industry events. So industry events is another way. And so people often forget this, but people that go to your different industry events that you're in, I said they are potential investors because they could be potential strategic investors. I've seen, I've seen people actually raise money from their customers, right? Because they've got a relevance to the service that they're actually providing. Like for me, for example, it's my subscribers to WI that have, been, that have come in as shareholders. Right? It's suppliers that deal with us that have come in as shareholders. Right? And that's interesting. Right? So all of you have got similar networks. So everyone here has so got people that they can actually speak to at the start. But what you have to do before you start this process, you have to list absolutely everybody and then start the interest building process. Okay, and then when you get to have a discussion, one of the worst things to actually do when you have a discussion, I actually had it to me this morning. The first thing the guy says is, let me get my presentation deck and I'll take you right through it. I cringed as soon as I heard that, right? No investor wants to sit and go through your 40 slide deck with you explaining every single slide to them, right? I said, I had a, for my slide deck, I had a 30 page slide, no, maybe more. I literally spoke to four slides, right? Because they can read. But I spoke to the most four key slides that were related to how we were targeting our growth and how we were targeting our strategy, right? said, as simple and high level you can keep it as possible. I said, there are other, and the other thing I always notice about dealing with high net worth investors is the fact that they've typically got 50 to 30 other companies pitching them, and I just assume they've got ADHD, right? Easiest way to think about it, borderline attention deficit disorder, 
and your job is to keep them interested. Okay, so this is an example of what my deal room, as far as what my deal room, you can see the DVD room, financials, and then I've got my main, my main room, right? And then in that, in the DVD room, these are, these are the different files that I had. Now the reason I had this, I know private investors typically wouldn't want to get access to all that info, right? But for the strategics or ones that were funds that were coming in, this is part of their course, right? Because they've actually got, this is their job, this is what they do. So I had that information ready. Now, if you want to screen, like this is literally a folder structure that's set up in Chris, so we can actually you know, send to you what that looks like. Now, I got this from our corporate advisor when they were doing well, when they were doing our setup for going through the process with uh, Investec. Right? This is my main one that I use. Said I've got a pitch deck. In that pitch deck, literally got three documents. Right, which is my pitch deck, term sheet, and then also uh, a corporate profile. Right, my FAQ, right, these are all the high level, and as you can tell, right, it's got all stuff around how to explain the valuation, references to similar businesses. So all this stuff, all this stuff I was getting during my questions, I said, you seriously, for any founder, you just get to the point where you're sick of answering the same stuff over and over. Right, but you will know what your frequently asked questions are because you're answering these, you're answering this stuff every single day. Okay, activity tracking. So typically when people actually send out deals, what they do is they just send out an email and they typically don't track it. For me, okay, this might be the first time they're hearing it if they're watching it, but how I knew Investec were interested in my company, when I sent them information, that email that I was sending was getting opened 60 times. See, I know they don't have that many people in the office, like how, how on earth are they opening this email 60 times, right? But that's how I knew they were interested. So activity tracking is massively important because you will understand how interested a potential investor is. Like, you don't know, if you send an investor an IM, how, if you're not using something like either um, email tracking or DocuSend or Crisp, how do you know what an investor is actually doing when you're not there? Activity tracking is massively important. And I'll give you an example of one of mine in a second. Momentum creation, and I'll go through this as well. There's a psychology to this process of raising capital that very few people talk about, right? So I'll go through what those factors are. Um, the, but the manufacturing of pressure, pressure is a key part. Communications. As you're going through the process, it's super important that you've got to communicate with potential investors before, during, and then after the process. As I said to you, if you can walk away from tonight with two main lessons. One, do your best to attract 50 investors to your deal room. I'm not saying if you... Sending, 50 email, sending emails to 50 investors is very, very different to getting 50 investors into your deal room. I mean actually into your deal room, not sending out 50 IMs, okay? Because if they actually go into your deal room, it means they've made a conscious effort to check out your information, right? And that's a very, very important distinction, okay? And then the last one is the rolling close. Now, I learned this term recently. Is basically, it's, it goes in alignment with the always be raising, but effectively the role in close, typically when you, you know, if you've got an institution, like for me, I've got obviously Investec and also I've got BMY as a shareholder, right? So in our shareholders agreement, we have to give notice, a notice period, we have to get shareholders to sign off on a capital raise and so forth. And there's a time period that the capital raise is typically open, and it can be sort of two or three months. So the rolling close just means at the end of that three months, you just basically roll, you literally get your approvals again and you roll into your next and you roll into your next round. Now the reason why I'm sort of highlighting this is because the process of raising capital where you put a massive amount of concentrated effort, right, to raise the entire amount in one hit, 
It is time consuming on you. It takes you out from your business. And the story that I'll give, once again, it's my failure, right? Is that, and you know, you speak to most VCs and I'll say this is their case as well. After Investec had become a shareholder, my next meeting with them was to talk about a strategy session. Now, the, I was freaking out about the first meeting because after that, first, after they did the transaction, my first report to them was about how our, share, how our revenue had declined in that period. Now, what was really interesting was uh, when I mentioned that in the meeting, what do you think their response was? Who wants to know? What do you think their response was? Your fault. It's always my fault. Their response was, was that because of us? <laughs> and I had to answer yes, right? And said, and if you think this is a, a, something that's uncommon, it's absolutely not. I said, people just don't talk about it. Right? But it's massively common, it's definitely common with professional investors strategically because of how much DD that typically goes through the process. Okay, so this is what was set up with Chris to give you an idea. This is, my, this is an example of our leaderboard. So what it does is effectively, it basically tracks every single engagement from clicking on it, downloading documents. And the reason that's important is that I want to know how engaged a potential investor is in my deal. Right, so if I click on any of those, they can tell me how they actually score in that process. Now, it's not there yet, but like the goal for us is in sort of six to nine, maybe even 12 months, is I just want to get to the stage where we know when a potential investment is going to be done before it actually happens. And the only way you can do that is via the, the collection of data. But that sort of gives you an idea of what the, the tracking that we've put in behind Chris actually looks like. And for this one as an example, right, you can see that this is someone that's gone onto my deal room and you can see how many times they've actually clicked on that deal room, how many times they've actually come back to it over and over again. Now that helps me understand to a degree how much interest there is from that investor. So I've got other ones where they've gone sort of eight and nine, eight and nine times into the actual deal room, right? Does that make sense? So often, so that's what I mean by if you just send an email and you've got no tracking on whatsoever, you have no idea how much activity is actually going on behind the scenes. Okay, so what's actually happening at a psychological level in a, in a cap raise? So the first one I went through was your process, right? The, the excitement, the fear, the, you know, the doubt, the you know, feeling like you're bulletproof when you raise money, all that sort of stuff, right? Or when you, when you finally finish the raise. This is what's going on in the investor side. And this is so important to understand. The first part is when an investor's looking at your opportunity, the first thing that's going through their mind is all the reasons why they shouldn't invest. Not all the reasons why. All the reasons why they shouldn't invest are all the different reasons they're going through in their mindset first. The next thing that you're going to have to deal with when you're raising money is this. No one wants to be the first one in. Right? Who's experienced that? And then no one wants to, be, and then no one wants to miss out. So you're playing, this, you're playing this game, it's a psychological game. So if you don't think the, the capital raising process is psychological, it absolutely is, because why? We're dealing with humans at the end of the day. Next one is bandwagon effect. Has everyone noticed that investors like to invest together? Has everyone seen that in media announcement? We've seen it, well, I had one client we were dealing with one time, when we were actually dealing with them, when they were doing our events and so forth, they were actually pretty rude and pretty aggressive uh, to us at that time. I got a call from them about sort of six to nine months after, and I got an email. Sorry, I got an email from them introducing me to someone that was raising money. And the email went like this: that after successfully using WI, I said I want to introduce this friend to it. And I was like, where did that come from? Because my last conversation was not a pleasant one at all. And 
what had happened was an, an investor had come through, they put in half a million, and then from what I understand, they brought along two friends with them, equaling the amount. Because what happens is that investors like to invest together. You see it at the VC level in medium, but they also like to do it at a high net worth level as well. Right? And this is why I say you can never discount any conversation you have, whether it be now or in the future. Right? Because you never know when that no can potentially turn into a yes. Right? So, so who are the founders again? Just put their hands up. Okay, who's also done sales before? Business development. Okay, pretty close, pretty close. All of you would understand that principle, right? A no doesn't mean a no today doesn't mean a no tomorrow. Uh, FOMO, right? Everyone's got fear of missing out. So as soon as you get close to the end of your raise, you'll notice with an IPO, typically what happens with an IPO is with this initial public offering, everyone gets excited. Basically, everyone's waiting, and you watch the brokers try and manufacture interest. You watch them manufacture pressure. You like to talk. They like to talk about how they've got indications. They like to talk about how they've got you know high level you know light you know interest from people. When you actually really see things happen is literally in the last two weeks, right? That's when you know what's really up. Like we've had companies ring us up, tell us they've got, tell us they're doing their capital raise, tell us they've got the money sorted, and all they need is the spread. Right for that raise, and then you find out there's just none of that. Right, they're just trying to manufacture that. You're trying to man, but the, the the fear of missing out is one part, and also understand when we're dealing with investors at this early private stage, when they're speaking to you about your opportunity, they're trying to understand how they can get a five times to ten times return. That's what they're mentally processing in their head. So if you've got a, if you're a startup and you've got a starting valuation of, of twenty million, they're in their heads thinking how can how, how can this post company possibly get to a hundred or a, you know a two hundred million valuation? That's what they're in their head trying to process. And as I said, what's their first move? Their psychological process to go through how can what is the, the, how how can I avoid loss? So, and then the next part is is what's the possibility of gain? And then the last one, so one of the easiest times we've found to get interest for a company is typically when they're leading up to an IPO. And that's because there's some sort of potential uplift or an exit coming soon, right? So for any founders that are raising money, one of the things you've got to be able to explain to the investors is what is their potential exit? How is, how is it that they're going to get your, their money out of your investment opportunity? As I stated before, it's actually easier to get a divorce, to get married and divorced than it is to get out of a private company, right? Because, and so that's the thing you've got to answer. All right, so common mistakes this is my actual, I think this is my last slide. So common mistakes, reliance on one existing investor. All too many times I've seen, I've seen this with, and this is hard, right? Because when you've got a big strategic investor, you think that, okay, my capital raising is sorted, right? As long as I keep them up to date. Reliance on them is a massive issue because do you know why? Their mandates can change. They could have a bad traction and they can't transaction, which means they can no longer invest into you. There's a thousand reasons to why someone does not invest into your company, and also there's a thousand reasons to why someone may not do a follow-on investment. Next one, reliance on one potential investor with no time pressure. I'd say if you ever want to frustrate yourself, that is the best thing to do, right? I said my, my actual process that I went through with investing, from my first, who wants to actually have a guess? From my first conversation to actually transaction being done, who wants to guess how long it took? That's because I've told you that. <laughs> You're right, spot on. Swear. It was one year. Swear. 12 months. Right? Who's excited about a capital raising taking 12 months? Yeah, funny enough, I wasn't either, but that's how it works out. 
No, but the thing, and was I happy? Actually, in the end, I was actually quite happy about that. But I said, part of that was my fault, right? Because I absolutely wasn't ready. But, again, I've seen the process throughout the times where it's been six months, nine months. And I've even heard, the longest I've heard is 18 months, right? So, anyway. Um, overconfidence and unrealistic. This is how all capital raises start out. For the founder being overconfident and unrealistic. So you wouldn't believe how many times we get calls and emails into the office saying, we are raising capital and we expect to close our raise in a month. So once again, just for everyone in the room, who here has successfully completed a capital raising from start to finish in one month? All right, just have a look around at all those hands in the room. Right? That's how realistic that is. But you have no idea how often we get this call into our office where people think that that's realistic, right? Capital raising absolutely takes time. You've got to give yourself a good three to six month window. Um, waiting until the raise is launched, until you actually start raising. As I said, one of the things that I learned for myself is start building that interest three, four, five, six months out before you actually launch. In fact, the reason why you want to build interest in that time period is you, you, you get the opportunity to make adjustments to your offer. You get the opportunity to make adjustments to your strategy. You get the opportunity to update your board on what actually investors are saying to you so you can get their feedback, right? Because typically as a founder, and this is absolutely my case, I've got a hell of a lot of people that are smarter than me around me that can actually give me advice and give me guidance. So I want to get as much information from them as possible before I actually pull the trigger on the raise. Right, and then the last one, and so apologies to all the advisors in the room. I hope you still like me after this comment, right? But basically, too much trust in advisors, right? And the only reason I say that is because all too often we hear about companies, right, where they put all their trust in advisor and literally done nothing themselves to actually facilitate the capital raise, where they don't help out, they don't try and bring investors to the table, they're not trying to actually facilitate the process, and worst of all, the last one, they actually don't know what's going on. They actually don't know how many investors have spoke, been spoken to. They don't know where those investors are at. And if you think that's said, this is a mistake that I have made myself. Right? And I said, I've done all sorts of dumb things in the process of understanding the capital raising. And I get the opportunity to watch everyone raise money for a living. I said, my job is I've watched thousands of companies actually raise money. And these are the mistakes that I still make. Right? So the job for me tonight was simply is like, I don't want people to make the same mistakes that I did, number one. And the second part is just to give an idea as to what that path and what that what that process is. Um, so that's pretty much that's pretty much it for, for me tonight. So obviously we've got QR codes. I've set up different QR codes around the room. So we'd we'd love to get your feedback. Said so I really one of the things in doing this, I know I've made it really like bullet point and really. I didn't expect to get this much interest for these for these presentations. So I'm super happy I did, and I especially didn't expect having both investors and also industry coming along as well. So we want to get your feedback because the goal for us on the WI and the Chris we just want to provide information that helps make your life easier, right? So at a core principle, anything that can save you time, save you money, and make your life more efficient, we want to either provide information or, or introductions to services or try and help to, to make that a reality. But also, on the emotional part, we want to help you understand that some of this stuff that you're about to go through on the journey is completely okay and actually all part of the process. So, now, on that note, that's me done for the night. Thank you so much for, for coming along, everybody. Obviously, there's going to be networking news now. Source the latest deals. Engage with new investors. 
and close your deal sooner with Crisp at C-R-I-I-S-P dot I-O.